Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles, and this week I have pulled in somebody. It's taken a little while for us to actually get together and do this. John, I want to thank you for coming on and joining us uh, this week. Uh, th thanks for having me. Will you be able to understand me? I, I Well, we might be able to have to get you an interpreter, but it'll be all right. Some subtitles. It, it's, uh, you know, as you know, one of the things I do is uh, on, on, on ships, and I find sometimes with uh, with some Americans, they have difficulty with my accent. So I find myself having to speak like that, which is a very annoying, poor what? accent. Let let it me works. know when you get yeah, down to that Appalachian accent. <laughs> my people. Well, you know, if you take a good Appalachian accent and you speed it up, mm -hmm. they'll sound basically like a Londoner. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll forgive you. So where are you coming to us, John? I am in a place called Essex, which is kind of uh, on the edge of London. So it'd be like New Jersey to New York. It's that sort of relationship, really, where we don't want to live in the big city, um, but we get accused of being the same. Well, we had the pleasure of getting to meet on a trip when we were over in the UK back in the summer, and um, I drug you on. So you want to give kind of give everybody a little bit of a rundown on who you are and uh, kind of the <laughs> I should have music playing in the background, shouldn't I? We are the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have done that. We could have had it rocking. In the <laughs> could have had the background, and, yeah. I could have had um, a picture of Big Ben in the background instead of a scene from a Chinese laundry. So, uh, so <laughs> I am I am John Ryan. Who is John Ryan? Um, I'm from an Irish family, which is a very strong part of my identity, but I'm very proud to be British. Um, Britain comprises England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So it's different to England. Uh, it's like you're from the United States, but your state maybe takes precedent. Um, I left school and was expected to work on a building site, but it was too cold. I couldn't do construction. It's just too cold for me. So I went to university and then, uh, came out of there with a good degree. I then um, worked in something we call it community care. I don't know what you'd call it, social welfare maybe? Social um, work, social care. Yeah, that, that sort of stuff, yeah. So I worked with a lot of people who uh, had mental health problems, a lot of people with HIV, terminally ill, end of life, giving them advice on how to get um, some welfare payments, housing, help, things like that. Um, and then I loved it best job i ever had i would still be there now were it not for the fact that we had a, a boss came in who decided that i was worth more than i was doing um and suggested that i apply for promotion which i didn't want to do uh, so i took redundancy now the thing is i wanted to write for kids and um no one's going to look at your writing in the uk if you work for local government um so I did some stand-up comedy to get a performing CV with the intention of doing three or four months and then quitting. But pretty soon it turned out I was at a knack for it. So I started getting paid, started getting interested in work, and then um, carried on doing that. The kids' writing thing went side by side with it. 
But as my children got older, uh, I felt less in touch with the young children and what they watched and what they didn't watch. Someone approached me to do some uh, stuff on men's health, asked if I had any experience or knowledge. Because I had a degree and a master's degree in that area and I'd worked in community care, um, we lumped them together with the performing skills and it meant I could write and deliver a performing show called Hurt Until It Laughs, which we toured around the UK. I uh, won a couple of little awards and it snowballed from there. So then I had two careers running parallel, the comedy career and the kind of mm, edutainment, I guess you might call it, or infotainment. Then I got asked if I'd entertain the troops. So I went around the world entertaining British, American, Canadian um, soldiers. And then that then led into doing TV warm-ups and then that led into doing the cruise ships. And so I now call myself a creative rather than a comedian or a writer. That's it. I feel like this is my Miss World statement. <laughs> I'm in a beauty pageant. <laughs> it's that thing of no matter what, if you're going to freelance, you kind of wind up discovering you're going in 800 different directions, right? And you yeah. don't necessarily yeah. always plan out, oh, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go that way. It's often the, what are the opportunities that come up? And all of a sudden you discover, oh, I kind of like this. I don't like that. I, you got a knack for it. Yeah, we were talking before you got yeah. started, uh, came on, that you've been writing for some for TV, uh, you know, some of the kids TV over there. Um, yeah, you mentioned that you'd written for Teletubbies, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was my one of my first uh, jobs in TV was. Um, so I'm from a very working class immigrant uh, area, and most British TV back in the early sort of two thousands was aimed very much at white middle class children, and so for us, it was hard for our kids to maybe sometimes relate to it. One of the things they had on Teletubbies was a little uh, section where there would be a, a television would appear in their stomach and a child would come and say, hello, my name is Jim. Today I'm going to go and work with my dad. Come and see. And they'd go off. Because children learn through mimicry is one of the theories. So kids would watch, copy and replicate. Um, so I met someone who said, yeah, you've got to stand up. And I explained that I wanted to actually write for kids. He worked at a company, put me in touch, blah, blah, blah. And then I went for a meeting at which I said, look, it's hard for working class children. They want to see kids they can relate to and identify with. So black kids, Asian, Asian we call um, Indian, Pakistanis, not Chinese. The Chinese are Chinese. So um, in my community, that, that was predominantly those people, Greeks, Italians. Um, and so then it snowballed from there. Then I got bits on other programs and... Started writing scripts. I loved it. It was great fun. So what what really pulls you and keeps you in comedy? You know, you say you kind of got a knack for it, but what what really keeps you working in comedy? I mean, comedy is hard. That's for everybody I know that does it. Comedy is hard, and I I think that comedians there's a difference between being a comic and being a comedian. I'm a funny guy, so if we worked in a baker's, we would have fun, right? But most comedians don't have fun. So when I was at school, I played on the soccer team. I was on the swimming team. I had girlfriends. I used to fight. I was what we would call a kind of, you know, like an average guy. The comedian tends to be not that guy. Comedian tends to be the guy who doesn't make friends, isn't particularly sporty, and is on the edge watching and creating their own world. And 
So consequently, when I first started doing comedy, I thought um, they would all be really funny, naturally funny people, but most of them have got some form of mental health issue going on, stemming from their childhood, in my experience. Um, and consequently, are unable to uh, achieve and maintain relationships um, and are not always the best dads or friends to have. Because one of the things about being a comedian is about being selfish and having an ego, which doesn't necessarily make you good company. But as you can well, see, I'm pretty dull. I'm pretty boring. You know? well, <laughs> I'm not like, well, hey, here's a joke for you. So, uh, yeah, I'm more sort of like, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I've, I've got a few friends that are on that side of the business, and I would entirely agree that there's a lot of connection between people who do comedy and mental health, right? There's mm -hmm. direct relationship. Um, a lot of the time it was you learn to be self-deprecating. You learn to be funny because it's a defense mechanism, and it's either – I may have to get in a fight or I can be a smart ass. Now, yeah. generally I'm a smart ass anyway, but um, looking at things from that space and, you know, as with anything else, when you get in the business, when you're in an industry, when you're, when you start getting into that circle, you start to get to know folks and you get to know people and you, know, you travel with them. You do a lot of shows together, things like that. Um, in, it kind of strikes me because the other side of your life, you're doing comedy, you're doing the mental health. You, know, you talked about it as kind of edutainment, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I've, this is one of the things I found really interesting is that idea of how you're crossing the borders between the two. Because if you go and you, and I do a lot of talks and I've done a lot of workshops and things like that, but if you don't keep it engaging, you don't keep it entertaining you lose people, right? And they don't retain what, yeah, you're, yeah. what you're talking about. So looking at yeah. the space that you, you're working in on that side of your life, what led you to, you know, I mean, obviously coming from working in social work and coming from trying to help people and that idea of connecting with people, because I think this is one of the strongest points of quote unquote comedy classically. I mean, is that idea of, how do I connect with people? How do I, how do I tell the story? How do I get people to see the point of view and exchange points of view and do it in a way that connects? I, I, I think the most important skill is to listen. Uh, Mark Twain said, you have two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you speak, but people really do. And some people don't listen to learn. They listen to wait for an opportunity to jump in with what they want to say. So engagement comes from taking an interest in the other person. And you've seen my shows. So my shows aren't typical comedy shows. I don't pick on anyone because I believe that that's bullying. It's all inclusive. People say, oh, you can't laugh about anything anymore. You never could. There was never a time in history when you could laugh at anything. And when I was growing up, you knew you'd said the wrong thing because you got punched in the face. So I, I've never been punched in the face because I've said the wrong thing. So I know not to. So therefore, I steer clear. So I know with you guys, freedom of speech is such an important thing. But for me, freedom of speech comes with responsibilities. And most people do not have the maturity or the understanding to use freedom of speech. I'm not advocating, advocating fascism, but I am saying some people need to do freedom of keep your mouth shut. 
Well, and that's uh, this is one of those things I'm I am a, an advocate and a believer in as well. I mean, I do a lot of speaking and talks about freedom of speech, privacy, data security, these kinds of things. So yeah, yeah, I agree 100 yeah. percent. You have a right to say what you want to say, but you have to understand there's there's responsibility to that. There's repercussions for that. Yep. And yep. sometimes you're going to get punched for that. Words are hurtful. You know, we have a great saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will have, never hurt me. But the fact is that names will cause long-lasting psychological damage. And so you tell a child it's stupid every day, that child will grow up. Kind of believing it's stupid. So already we can see the power of that word. We use labels and things all the time, create stereotypes, uh, and people are hurt and suffer from them. But stereotypes can also be funny, but it's how you choose to use them. So I think words are very, very powerful, and I have an ability to use words in a way that's humorous that makes people have those kind of from aha to ha-ha moments, and that's where my mental health work comes in. So I can talk about suicide, but I'll talk about it like we would if we were working together. So my friend tried to take his own life five times, and I visited him in hospital each time. And like time four and five, I said to him, look, you're just not very good at this. Maybe it's not for you. Now, there you go. We've, we've mentioned suicide. You smiled. Let's open up a whole new area for us to go into. But generally speaking, we don't talk about suicide because people go, well, how can a comedian talk about suicide? Well, no, let's talk about it. We need to talk about stuff. Well, if we look at kind of that classical move of the court jester, the, it's, the, it's the ultimate level of truth-telling. If you do it well, and if you tell the story well, and you you gather that attention, so do you find that that medium works well to open up communication? Yeah, it does, and it's not about we don't laugh at, we laugh with, we laugh together. The humor is just the kind of take the rough edges off of the subject. So I'll talk about men's health, mental health, suicide, cancers but all with funny anecdotes and funny stories. It doesn't detract from the subject matter, but what it does do is make people feel comfortable and, and it's palatable. So, for example, I was brought up in an Irish family and I had dozens of uncles uh, and they more or less all died or were finished by the late 50s, including my father. And it was all from industrial diseases, lifestyle, smoking, drinking, eating their own food. And... Um, I remember thinking that Irish people just died at that age and I didn't understand why all my friends, dads and uncles, they had old people in their families. Whereas we didn't, we just had old women. But then I looked into it and found out, well, actually it's because of, you know, opportunities and lifestyle and socialising and education and all the rest of it. Um, so that's not being me being a preachy, PC, woke kind of person. But statistically, if you're born as a black boy six miles away from me, your life is going to be significantly different to my son's. So uh, that's fact. So how do we how do we deal with that? Whose responsibility is it to, to deal with it? So, yeah, let's talk about these things. So uh, looking at that and looking at the, the company you've got with Partner and where you guys do uh, give a lot of these kinds of mental health talks, things like this, yeah. what are the areas you focus on? And what do you think are, what are you seeing today? Because, I mean, Obviously, there's global stressors going on with, you know, maybe we're going to blow up the planet. Maybe the economy is going to completely and totally collapse. Yeah. 
all sorts of the good stuff that's going on, right? You know, we're in a period of global challenge. So I feel sure you've got to be seeing some of that with the crowds. Coming yeah, in, yeah, but coming in. But I think that you look, ultimately the big problem is putting food on the table, raising your kids, right? I've got friends in America who we here would call middle class. They have a nice house, nice cars, nice life. They're working three jobs. What kind of madness is that? Well, yeah, you take two weeks leave a year. And if you take it, you look down upon. Somebody needs to go, hang about. This ain't right. But if you do that, some will go, you're a communist or you're a socialist. And then language kicks in and off you go. Um, it's that thing of people, I think there's a spiritual or a moral void that people are trying to fill. Um, and they try to fill it with material things. I'm not a religious person, but they fill it with material stuff, thinking that will kind of somehow satisfy whatever needs they have. When I worked in community care, I was privileged to be with people when they died. It doesn't make me a suspect or anything, but I was there in the last moment. So I've seen regrets. I've heard stories of love. I've seen you know, very powerful moments. And if you understand life, last for but a moment then you can then enjoy it so i think that's an important story um is the idea of there is you, you can choose what you do with life right to an extent we all have the situations we're born into we all have the situations that we start from and that's outside of our control but at a certain point we start gaining control over decisions, options. How do you take in, in just in your background? And I mean, recognizing that the UK is radically different from a lot of the way things are here in the States. You know, I've worked out of, I've worked out of Ireland. I've worked out of the UK. I've worked out of other places too. And I, when we were over there um, this summer, I'd been, I've spent a fair amount of time over there. My wife had never been to Europe. And even now she's still kind of reflecting on, culturally how different things are between there and here and this is i think one of the important things is that there is the nature of on a personal level you know fundamentally people want to take care of friends and family you got to raise the kids like you say put food on the table take care of the basics yeah and that's common everywhere you ever go how do you so how do you kind of face some of those challenges and i mean looking at the things that you've had and like you say, the privilege of being at there at the time of people's greatest challenges and death and facing those kinds of things, because none of us are getting out of here alive anyway, right? Um, how do you how do you find that relating those stories helps people that are maybe not fa facing any challenges anywhere near that bad? But we all know we we look at the dark night of the soul for some reason or another all the time. Right. It happens to everybody periodically. The Dark Night of the Soul sounds like the meatloaf album that was never made. You need to, you need to write that. <laughs> Give me time. I'm Nobody wants your, to hear me. Your challenge. Nobody wants to hear me saying, <laughs> <Listen>. but <laughs> people live in denial, don't they? I think so. People think, oh, I'll just get through the day, just get through the day. But then before you know it, the week has gone, the month has gone, the year has gone. And it's why. Why do you have to live like that? What do you need? Basically, I think when I do my mental health talks, so yesterday I did four, and I start each session with a simple question. What do you want? What do you want out of life? 
And then I listen to guys coming out with on a car or money, on a gorgeous partner, on holiday, blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. All you want is health. That's it. You ain't got health, you ain't got nothing. But people think that means going to the gym, drinking water, not drinking beer. No, 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 no. no. It means a basic level where you can go out your front door without having to sit down. You know, you don't need someone. If you can get up in the morning, you put a light on, brush your teeth and go to a toilet that flushes, you're ahead of 90% of the planet. So then appreciate what you have, but then think of what you want next. What, I was always fascinated when I was a kid, when I because we, we were, you know, we were poor. We were kind of Jerry Springer audience types, right? And where we lived, which would be, I don't, I can only, because I only know New York. So it would be like living in the Bronx and looking at Manhattan, lower Manhattan and thinking, how did they get that? And so I used to ask people, when I had a job, I would say to the boss, how did you become the boss? And then he explained it to me. And then I thought, ah, so take responsibility for your own actions, work hard, pay for what you get, but always understand you won't always get what you pay for. I thought, what is that simple? That's it. You know, that, that, that's it, basically. Yeah. If you want a big car, get a big car. Get it on finance. People don't know you got it on finance, but you've got a big car. Um, but it's about what you want out of life. Happiness, health, peace, contentment. I'm the most content man you'll ever meet, I think. Which is really so, uh, kind of going back. That's really kind of unusual for people in creative spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then I had a barbecue in the summer and I did a gig on the Saturday and on the way home, I'm dropping the guy off and he was telling about how his wife has left him. He's sleeping on people's couches and, um, you know, life's tough. And I said, you know what, man, come back with me. We're having a barbecue tomorrow. You can hang out with us. And because my partner uh, is really cool, she, I could tell her or not tell her. She came out with coffee and said, there's a man asleep on my couch. Who is he? I went, oh, that's Dave. She went, oh. When were you going to tell me about Dave? I went, um, well, we got in at two this morning. You were asleep. I didn't want to wake you. And, I, you know, you got up to bring me um, some coffee. So, okay. So Dave stays for the day. We had the barbecue, 30 or 40 people. And he had a great time. But at the end said, where were all the other comedians? I said, well, you were here. Yeah, but where, where's all the rest of them? You work. You've been doing this 20 years. You know everyone. I said, I know them, but I don't socialize with them. Um. One of my, my favorite anecdotes I tell people is a night when I came home from, I did a theater, um, got, a, got a standing ovation, got in the car, came home, opened the front door, and as soon as it closed, I heard a voice say, did you remember to get the milk? <laughs> just grounded, just grounded. And one of the things that I frequently teach, and this is both in creative businesses, but I mean, I've done the same thing for attorneys. I've done the same thing in healthcare. I've done the same thing in IT is talking about the power of creativity. If you do not have creative outlets, if you don't have, if you don't find those ways to express yourself, I don't care. It's not necessarily about commercially, right? It could be cooking, gardening, you may be just painting or writing stories yeah. for, for your own edification, right? Yeah, do it. Yeah. So is there something that you've seen with people where that gives new meaning, new purpose, or just even just changes changes people, that idea of creative expression? Yeah, so one of the projects we did, uh, what basically I, I had two types of work, okay? 
in terms of the kind of health stuff. So I have one where I'll come in and do a presentation or training or I'll send someone in that works for us that I've co-written uh, um, a little show for, okay? Then the other side of it, we do projects. And our projects, we would do – so we'd do um, men in North Carolina over 50 who are single, living on their own, okay? So we want to look at the mental health of that, that group. So we get some guys from that group together, have a little chat, talk to them, get some funny anecdotes, get a feel for what they're thinking. Then we get a space, a theatre space, and try to encourage them to either do prose, poetry, comedy, play an instrument, do a painting, something to do with the arts, or stand at the door and sell tickets. Um, and then whilst doing the workshops, we'd also have uh, a clinical person, a nurse or a doctor or some kind of health professional who, you know what, by the way, Jim, you know, you, while you're here, look, go and have a chat to Richie and, um, you know, you take your blood pressure. Then while he's doing your blood pressure, start talking and, and there you go. So it's about, with the project side of it, it's trying to give these guys, just because you're 55, one of my heroes was a woman called Lena Kennedy who before J.K. Rawlins was one of Britain's most successful writers ever, had her first book published at 67. You know, she was a millionaire when she died. So there's no, there's no time limit on it. But it's just that whoever tells you what you can do, you think about it, you're only ever told what you can't do. Well, and there, there's a couple of groups I, I speak to kind of frequently, and a lot of the time what I find are people in their... 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that are, oh, I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to do X. And now they're like, well, should I bother doing it now that I'm at this age? Or in the case of a couple of people, we've been working with them to do their first books. And, you know, they're, you know, we're tired. They get the first things out the door. And they, the first question they ask is, why did I wait so long? Or yeah. what could I yeah. have done? And then, I've also had the pleasure of working with and speaking to a lot of groups with people that are in their teenagers, twenties that looking in and encouraging them, just go do it. You know, what's, yeah. Yeah. what's the biggest thing that you've seen kind of in all the work that you guys do around that? Because one of my, one of the biggest things always for me boils down to fear or what is everybody afraid of? And that tends to be the thing that throws the brakes on a lot of people. I think a lot of it is realizing what you can do. So I used to have a running joke. My father passed away about 11 years ago. Okay. Um, but I still talk to him every day. And I say to people, if you're bereaved, just talk to him. I even find myself touching the radiators when I come in, like he used to. So, you know, I, I still talk to him. And I would sometimes ring him up and say, are you can you put put BBC Two on right now, which is a television station? You go right. What is it? I'm like show jumping. He goes, why am I watching show jumping? I said, you never told me I could be a show jumper. I could I could have been a show jumper, Dad. If you'd get me a pony when I was a kid. He goes, oh, last week you wanted to be a yachtsman, but it's all about. I never knew that I could be anything other than a builder because that's all that was in my environment. And then it, part of people people think. You can't write because if you want to write, you've got to be from the Hamptons or 
how is some guy from the middle of Humpty Dumpty nowhere in the Appalachians or Arkansas, who's going to read his book? Well, you know what? Someone will. And even if nobody reads your book, just write it. But it's that, isn't it? It's a who it's it's you can your knowledge can only increase within a circle of the experiences that you have. I'm all about experiential learning and transitional learning. So and I'm terrible. My missus sometimes will go, Oh God, no. I'm like, babe, I'm away on a ship for a week. This guy plays the accordion. She'll go, You're not getting an accordion. But you know, so do it. Live life, have that embrace, have that zest and zing and kind of drive for it. You know, one of the things that because uh, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because there's a reason we've got glass shop and all this stuff because I love playing with glass. There's nothing that will clear your mind like playing with yeah. something a couple of thousand degrees, yeah. right? Brilliant. Especially the first time you drop it on you. Um, it'll it'll wake you up. I the one of the things that I frequently still do and teach and work with is when people discover that they can do something that they they thought they couldn't do, right? Or it's that whole idea of because again, publishing. I deal with a lot of writers, work with a lot of publishers. That notion of the first time you get that book in your hand, you get that little rush of, I've got something, I created it. And this is something that will outlive me. It's something that can get global reach. I mean, the best-selling book I still have is a novella. It's a murder mystery where somebody's killing gnomes and turning them into garden statues. That stupid Brilliant. thing, gets, that gets me gnomes sent to me from all over the world. I've, I've had gnomes come to me from Japan and Australia. You never know what the little thing is that's going to make make a difference. You know, you're mm. talking about yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, when we look at authors, when we look at creators, no matter what, you get to tell your story. You may be telling the same story that's been told for thousands of years, but it's through your eyes, it's through your viewpoint, and that to me is the part of the power of creativity is that you can find meaning in things that you wouldn't see otherwise because you have to tell the story. And but, but, but creativity, I try to explain to people, creativity is a discipline. Mm -hmm. You can't just put on a smoking jacket, take out a pen and go, hmm, the idea will come to me. So when I've given little writing classes, I'll say to people, sit yourself down at 9.30 in the morning with a pen and a piece of paper and write something. But I've got writer's block. Look out the window and describe what you see and then just see where it takes you. Oh, is that how you do it? Yeah, that's it. It's just that simple as a discipline. And at five o'clock, I stop. You know, writer's block is one of my favorite topics. I was I was on a panel with um, Chelsea Quinn Yarborough a number of years ago. You know, Grandmaster. And I was like, what do you do about writer's block? She goes, I look at the stack of bills next to me and I get back to writing. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's not creative. It's a discipline. And so in the same way that my degree was in the, the social sciences, so if I had to write an assignment on um, the Italian um, unification of 1871 or whatever it was, well, I, I'll be the same with how do I write a story about, you know, a boy who has his bicycle stolen. That's the same. You, it's just you apply the same principles to it which is why when people look at my CV, they'll go, wow, you've done a poem and you've, you've written a song and you've written a play and you've 
Yeah, because you give me the subject and I see the challenge and go, yeah. During lockdown, I built an extension, okay, because I had no work. So I thought, okay, I'll do something else then. So uh, she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm watching YouTube. Why are you watching YouTube? I said, I'm going to learn how to dig some footings and foundations for an extension. She said, who are you doing that for? I said, us. She said, oh, goodness. Then her friends would say to her, are you crazy letting him do that? She went, he's fine. He knows what he's doing. He's got his theories. Now people come to my house and say, would you build one for me? You know, it's within my skill. You can increase your skill set. Don't be limited by what you're told that you can't do. Think to yourself, well, yeah, well, what can I do? So looking at everything that you've you've done in life, right? Going back to the good old days, what's the what's what would be the most important thing you could tell somebody that's sitting there, whether they're 20 or 90? Just have a have a dream and just think. Yeah, I'll try it. Try it. If you go to a restaurant, just try it. Unless it's dessert. Dessert is only apple pie. However, just try different stuff. Talk to people. Say hello to storekeepers. You know, when you talk to your bank, say to them, how are you? When you go to your doctors, say, how are you today? Um, and, and don't limit yourself. I have a tick list of things I want to do. So uh, one of the things that was on there was I wanted to write a poem, get paid to write a poem. And then somebody approached me and said, look, do you think you could write a poem? I'm like, I am your man. Uh, wrote it. We filmed it. Again, won a little award for it. Got all the news channels up and down the UK. It's a poem about how to talk to people with cancer. Now, what's a comedian doing writing poems like that? Well, because I'm not a comedian. Don't, you know. Don't take that label, don't accept that label. Be that creative. Well, and I think that's that's an important thing too, is when you embrace creative energy, when you embrace that creative life, all of these things are just mediums. It's a way of expressing the idea. It's a way of exploring the idea. And then it becomes what's the discipline? What's the skill set you're developing to embrace that medium? Yeah, yeah. The the uh, the ship you saw me on, I believe something like seventy percent of the passengers were American, and some of the ships I work on, there'll be eighty five, ninety percent American. And the thing is, of course, Americans don't get British comedy; they don't get British humour, apparently. But what is British humour? There is only humour. You, if you have that cup of tea you had, if you don't put that in the dishwasher you're in trouble it doesn't matter if you live in pakistan the yemen or manchester in the uk it's the same the world over you know and so you look at what we have in common and like then work from there i, I I'm, I'm baffled by this phrase woke because when we were growing up we didn't have woke we just had good manners but good manners have gone now the reason why you have to tell people not to be um, misogynistic is because otherwise they will be um, or, or racist because they will be. Uh, and so we need some sort of formal recognition that if we're all going to get on together, we've got to kind of give way a little bit. Uh, and I think that's something that's gone over, certainly over the last sort of 10, 15 years. Or more, but yeah, uh, I think uh, as, as creatives, we can we can bring each other together. I, I was on a, a ship and went to dinner with uh, six Americans, 
uh, uh, three couples, myself and another performer, and we sat down and they were saying, hey, we really enjoyed your shows. Well, thank you. It's really nice. And then, you know, you should come to the States. You'd be a big hit over here. And I'm like, well, that, I appreciate that. Thank you. And the girl who's a singer, they were saying to her, you, could, you should be in Vegas. She said, I couldn't live. I couldn't live in America. Why? She said, well, I'd be worried about my kids going to school and getting shot. One of the Americans said, well, you know, if we sorted out guns, uh, if we aren't their teachers, it wouldn't be an issue. At which one of the other Americans went, well, here we go. I'm not going to sit here and listen to this. Come on. Threw their serviette down, said to me and the girl, please, we're not going to sit and talk to these people. And off they went. And as soon as they'd gone, the guy who said it went, do you see what we have to contend with? And you go, wow, there is in, in that, it, in itself, there is just so much tension and conflict and to go from naught to 100. 15 years ago, that conversation wouldn't have happened. And, and so what do we do as comics? We try to see this or as creatives, see it, draw attention to it, maybe come up with some, maybe the solution is shut your mouth. Because when we were brought up, you would have shut your mouth. If you were woke, you would have shut your mouth. So, you know, what, what do we do? The idea of discourse is largely gone, and I'm hoping we can bring it back. And I think that that is part of the job of the creative community. And I think is to create tool sets, to create story, to create environments where conversations can happen, where real discourse can happen, where ideas can be debated. And, but, uh, you know, the other side of that too has to be, we have to be able to all come sit at the table and not agree. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with not agreeing because, you know, humanity evolved through conflict, not through compromise. Um, and we didn't get out of the caves by sharing the food with the next tribe. You know, the lions don't get confronted by the wildebeest saying, it's not fair you keep hunting us. You know, the, the, there is going to be conflict and how you navigate it, how you learn to walk through it. What we have now is a race to the bottom of isms. And who's going to come up with the biggest ism? They win the argument. It's crazy. However, as creatives, we have to operate in this medium and think, well, what's the solution? Where's the way around it? And, I, and I, I'm baffled when I see comics, comedians especially, espousing these views on, you know, old Trump's this, Biden's this. But, and then these guys go back home to their bedsit studio with one enamel mug and a spoon. And you think, mate, you want to sort your own life out before you start try to put everyone else to rights, but nobody says that. You, you can't fix the world till you fix, fix your home first. There you go. What's that? Don't throw stones in great glass houses or put your own house in order. It's one of those kind of things, isn't there really? But yeah, you go, you know, you saw my show. I talk about America's, you know, the greatest nation on the planet. And yet your only two options for leader are Trump and Biden. That's is really. Um, <clears throat> I'm not. I'm not saying that we've got it right or wrong or anyone else. But come on, you judge a man by his shoes. If he looks after his shoes, you know he's got pride in himself. So our prime minister wears a suit and keeps his mouth shut. We, we like that. And again, there's comedy there, isn't there? There's comedy there. There's there's tension. There's luck and minefield. Where we're going to go with this? 
and but I mean, and admittedly, I've watched Parliament since I was in high school. Um, yeah, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. It, there's great joy out of watching that, and the the challenge I think now is that Congress is starting to look a little bit more like Parliament. Um, we're throwing more things at each other. Um, yeah. But I think this all kind of boils down to you know a book you guys wrote, right? Post apocalyptic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm fascinated by whenever you see um, movies in the future, it, it, it's it's always chaos. There's always chaos, and, and then I wondered what. There's a film. There's a great movie called Idiocracy. Have you ever seen it? You mean the documentary? Yeah. We, <laughs> so there's that and it's just about how ultimately we all end up being stupider and simpler because we have short retention spans and so myself and darren my friend who uh we've been friends for 30 years he's an electrician but he's one of these guys who'd like to write a book so i said come on in let's write a book um we looked at what would happen if all the humans were gone but they left genetically modified animals behind but because um you know humans are inherently um, fault ridden maybe some of these animals would be so we came up with uh, a group of, of uh, genetically modified animals who's, who were designed to defend and attack who'd be left to their own devices and just disintegrated into a, like a Monty Python kind of crew um, and, and then we just thought instead of having a cat with superpowers psychic powers why don't we have a cat with psychic powers who gets it wrong um, um, but in that typically British way, we'll go, oops. Oops is one of the greatest words in the British language. You don't want to hear oops on an aeroplane or at the dentist's. <laughs> so we just came up with this idea of then, well, well, how would the world look if there were just these kind of dystopian animals running around? Um, ducks want to take over. I never trusted ducks since I was a kid. So ducks want to take over the planet. Uh, this team are in an old cave that was where the human technology is. The ducks can't find it, so they keep coming up with ideas to get this team out of the cave so they can capture the team, take the cave. It's, it's a simple, stupid premise. And the rule is that nobody gets hurt. So, And it's just silly. It's a silly comic romp. So what's the name of the book? The book is called Tag Tinsel. The first one is called A Mission Most Foul because it's about ducks. Um, and in this story, the ducks persuade a wolf, the big bad wolf, that the pigs are um, there to be eaten. But the wolf doesn't want to eat them. He just wants them to keep quiet because his wife's had a baby. Um, and then the, the pigs are scared of the wolf, right to Tag Tinsel's team, come and rescue us. The ducks, of course, then will capture the team and capture the technology. Um, the, the second book is about two penguins who want to have a baby, but they're both male penguins. Um, so there's, a, there's an issue there straight away. And they come across what they think is an egg, but it's actually a timer from a nuclear device, which one of them sits on and tries to get it to hatch. Now the ducks want this nuclear device, have to get the team out of the cave to save the penguins, capture the team, capture the device, take over the world. And, and it's just silly. Here but there's nothing wrong with silly. Absolutely not. Very Pratchett esque. Do you know Terry Pratchett? Did you read Discord oh, yeah. one of those books? I've, I've yeah. read So he's from that. Kind of, yeah. Um, in fact, the other but you day. See, I thought, but, you, 
Yeah, I saw a picture the other um, day. It was Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett done during the days when they were both when they were working on Good Omens. Is, and yeah. Terry Pratchett goes and says, I wore white so they would know who the good guy was. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. But it, it, it's just this whole thing of we're grown men. Why can't we fantasize and be silly? My problem is because physically I um, look like a, you know, a guy from the hood as I was growing up. I, I was from that background. Because I don't drink beer and have a long beard and listen to heavy metal music, I would invariably turn up somewhere where there was a Pratchett um, convention and they'd all look at me like I'd come to beat everyone up. And, and then the whole thing about not judging people, I'm like, what, why, would you, why would you think that? Well, because of how you look and sound and where you're from. You go, no, you know, because in here, we're all the same. And, and then writing is a great vehicle for sorting in here out. Mm -hmm. It's great therapy. Yeah, and, and it's good because then it, it connects you with the world. I remember when Harry Potter came out, and I didn't want to read it because I decided that I wanted my kids to have a book that they knew about that I didn't. So it would be their world. So I never read it. I never watched any of the movies. I haven't got a clue. But I saw how it made them embrace reading and it kind of opened up the world of literature to a whole kind of new tranche of kids that never would have looked at a book. I, one of the biggest problems I think that we're looking at today is the number of people reading is continuing to decline. Unless, of course, it's looking at pick your social media channel and yeah, 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 yeah. actually sit down and read. Well, it's a whole TikTok thing, isn't it? It's you took 30 seconds attention span, 15 seconds on Instagram. In our book, one of the lead characters, you're not sure if it's a guy or a girl, but it doesn't matter. That's the whole point. It doesn't matter if it's a guy or a girl. Well, we need to gender it. I mean, it doesn't matter what people are. The the strong character is a female. We didn't write that to be a female. It's just that when we wrote the character, it just turned out that way. It was based kind of a bit on my sister and on a girl I went to school with. Um, but it's that thing of... I remember when I did uh, here before you... At high school, you do something called A-levels and you looked at Shakespeare. And I remember deconstructing Shakespeare, Othello. And I didn't like it because I said to the teacher, but I don't want it explained like this. I want to see it as a love story where a guy really goofs up, listens to the wrong dude, uh, and that's all I need to know. I don't want to know about the history of, you know, gender and race and class and the struggles because it, I, was, I was 17, I just liked the book. All into the I story. haven't just explained Othello to you. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, Shakespeare's stories, while there's a great deal of complexity and mechanics in the way they're written, they're simple stories at yeah. the core. Simple conflicts. How to approach the world. That's all life is. That's all life is. I think, um, for me, one of the uh, greatest... Uh, TV series of the last 10 years um, is Only Murders in the Building, the, the Steve Martin vehicle. Martin I've seen the first couple. Ah, it's just so well written, so clever. And it's just it's just nonsense. But it's greatly written nonsense. And, and instead of 
Like, I love films and movies where it's about the human condition. And I can't watch Marvel and the Avengers and DC stuff. I, yeah. The guy just got shot. Why is he still running? It may, I don't get it. <laughs> so <laughs> I even struggled with Star Wars. I'm like, oh, come on. But I appreciate that there's room in the great kind of um, atmosphere of, uh, of creativity for something for everyone. But it's about what you want and how you're going to get it. That's, that's all stories to me come down to. Well, I was watching the, you know, first of the new three Doctor Who's from with Tenet back. Mm -hmm. And pure up, straight up classic ridiculousness, but great story. Yeah, I remember going to New York um, in 2004, I think, staying with my buddies and uh, talking to my son on the phone. And he said hello to everyone. And they were like, uh, what's this Doctor Who your son is talking about? He had to go to watch Doctor Who. And I said, oh, yeah, Doctor Who is about a time-traveling, um, regenerating being uh, that solves and saves humanity. Okay, we watch it. And I remember about three minutes in them going, well, this guy's spaceship is like a, a phone booth. I mean, yeah. And he doesn't have any weapons other than a screwdriver with a light on the end of it. Yeah. Well, but it would never get made in America. But in, we love goofy stupid in the UK. We don't want all our stars to look like chiseled Greek gods. Me and you could be the heroes in a British movie, you know? Well, it's like John Nettles, right? I mean, distant cousin, but um, yeah. acted and been in all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Baker is still my doctor. He was still my first doctor with the bad special effects. And Everybody has to have their own doctor. Tom, Tom Baker is my doctor. I mean, that that's what I that's where I started. Um, but who's your James? Who's your James Bond? Sean Connery. Yeah, uh, I've just finished reading Roger Moore's book. Very funny man. Yeah, I, I think I've got that one. I haven't read it yet, but I think it's on the stack. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, very, very funny guy, man. Very funny guy. But then again, you know, looking at we're looking at these stories, which are essentially the same. James Bond is still being made now as he was in the sixties. It's the same stories because all the story is, is something happening to someone. That's it. End of. There's no science to it. No, so sit down and write it. Hmm? How, and how do things go wrong, and how do you make them worse? Yeah, there you go. And then you can extrapolate it, but you go, Goldilocks, went to the forest, saw the cottage, saw the porridge, tried them, tried the chair, tried the bed, got chased by bears. That's not much of a story. However, there's your story. It's, 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 it's right. a classic story. It's classic. Sorry if I spoiled the end of it. I should have gone, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm not finished it yet. <laughs> But yeah, and so I was always, as a child, I used to get quite sad when I got near the end of a book because I knew it was going to be over. I'm like, oh, I don't want it to end. Yeah, I was um, had a friend friend on last night. We were talking because she just wrapped an eight book series, pushing a million words, and it was that. Wow. Oh, wait, I'm I'm done with those characters. Yeah, it's that. And like even with our tag tinsel um, stories, we have five. And um, but, but then in our heads, we're planning spin-offs and movies. And, and I said to Darren, of course we should. 
because that's what keeps the creative going, that hope. But where we differ is that it's written. It's not mine now. I've given it away. But he's still sometimes, when, when you, especially when you write collaboratively, he'll go, but that sentence is really important. I'm like, well, then keep it in. And keep it in. It doesn't matter. Because once you give that to a publisher or to a director or a producer, they will chop it and change it. And, you know, how many movies have you seen where you'll go, this is a great story, it's based on a true story. When you actually look at the events, you know, three characters are made up for artistic um, creativity. And then the entire plots, you know, the, the based on a yeah. true story was, well, this guy did a thing. Beyond that, you can throw what's most of it out the window. What's the classic one where America saved the war by breaking the Enigma code by finding it? Um, oh, uh, or it? Uh, it's not Das Boot. It's um, now I got to remember because I haven't watched it in probably thirty. Yeah, and then it's that thing though, isn't it? Then movies become facts. People go, oh, like Napoleon. This, have you seen the Napoleon movie? That not yet. Joaquin Phoenix is in. I mean, you go, wow, I know you got Hollywood it a little bit, but come on, man. Well, but, you know, if Waterloo turns out differently, let me know. Um, <laughs> yeah, the uh, 54th uh, Oklahoma Cavalry turned up and kicked some butt, man. You, you never know what you're going to get. It's so it's so funny. On the, on the ship, one of the routines I do is about how um, how important the British Army is. Um, for America, how, how important we are, and I mean it's it's silly really because our army's got something like sixty three thousand men, which is not even a third of one of the militias in the deep south, right? And this guy afterwards said, "You know, you're a funny guy, but you 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 got to stop saying that, man, because you've not saved us before." I'm like, "All right, it's just words, but it's not true." I'm like, "Well, okay, it's." If it wasn't for us, you'd all be speaking German. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if it wasn't for the French, you'd all still be drinking tea. Where does it end? You know, let's be creative. Let's, let's. Uh... I am still drinking tea. Thank you very much. I like the way you keep product placement keeps coming in there. Is this normal everyday regular tea or is it herbal tea or what is it? Uh, no, that is, uh, that is a uh, Irish breakfast. Irish breakfast tea. Yeah. It's a blend from a friend of mine, but. Oh. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I tend to prefer the really nice Scottish breakfast that would be, you know, pitch black as coffee and strong, and you could just about walk across the top of it. But <laughs> yeah, it's, and again, it's funny that, that on the ships I don't drink tea because the water's never hot enough, so I just drink coffee. But at home, I never drink coffee. Yeah, the big tea collection is downstairs, but yeah, you could have. Some enjoyment in life. And then again, go back to my mental health stuff. That's one of the things I say to people. Have a little treat. Have something that you enjoy. Don't feel guilty. Have a guilty sin. Have a something just for you. Because we're told not to be selfish. And so then consequently, when you do something for yourself, you feel bad. Well, John, I appreciate all the time. Is there anything we haven't dove in tonight or into this morning that you want to hit on? Do Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton is the greatest human being ever to come from those fair shores of the colonies that you live in. And why have you? Why can't she be president? What is wrong with you all? The answer is right there. 
I don't think she wants to come from nothing. She is the living embodiment of the American dream. Absolutely. She comes from nowhere. She's her talent. She's a brilliant example of an empowered, powerful woman. And she can sing. And she's got long nails as well. So don't think just because you've got long nails, you can't put the garbage out. Well, and she also just uh, did a wonderful uh, job with, uh, I think it was Dallas Cowboys as a cheerleader. So, yep. Still, mate. We'll have her. We'll swap her. <laughs> You're going to have Mick Jagger. Okay. I'll, I'll take Mick as long as, you know, well, uh, anyway, that'd be fine. Can't believe we're horse training humans. This is probably how um, trafficking works, isn't it? Uh, I think I, I, she's she's going to be worth a Ronnie Wood as well as uh, you can have Rod Stewart as well. No, no, just just keep it. Um, well, John, if anybody's interested in all the the great stuff you're doing, where can they find out more about? The Greek, you? I'm not. Oh, go I'm ahead. not Mother Teresa. That's what I'm like. I'm like Mother Teresa, aren't I? <laughs> I would not go that far, but... I'm like that. There you go. That's my picture. It's worth a shot. <laughs> but if people need more of, more of John Ryan, where can they find More Johnny time. More Johnny well, time. My, com- my company is called Happy to Health You. Happy to Health You. We currently have three big projects on the go. One is raising awareness of suicide in the farming community, which is a universal theme um, for America as well as the UK. We, our other project is called One in Six, which is men who've been the victims of sexual abuse, which is uh, particularly difficult. But there's not, there's not much comedy in that, as you'd imagine. But it's trying to encourage the guys to find other creative outlets and the obviously the, the third big one is just on suicide awareness, um, which currently here uh, is main cause of death for men under 50. Well, I'm safe now. I'm out of that danger zone. I'm now into heart attack territory, and I have to fear the staircase. That's my biggest threat to my life is the staircase. So, Well, you know, I mean, they'll jump out at you. Um, I'll try and get some fun over that. My Instagram is at Comedy John Ryan. And um, yeah, yeah, drop me a line. Let me go. I didn't like what you said about we'd all be still drinking tea if it wasn't for the French. Well, you know, yeah, well, get over it. I'm still drinking tea regardless. Well, John, I, I, do, <laughs> I appreciate you coming over and hanging out with me. And hopefully, we'll get you back over on this side of the pond. It'll probably be at least another year before I get back over there. So. Um, but uh, definitely appreciate you coming in this morning. We'll be, we'll be talking oh, soon. You. And you should say, y'all have a good day now. Y'all have a good day now. Oh, there you go. <laughs>